This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm David Marsland and this is The Leader. The new strain of the virus presents us with a new challenge, just as the vaccine is being rolled out. So it is right to give more support for businesses to get through until spring. Chancellor Rishi Sunak announcing a £4.6 billion lockdown aid package for British businesses there, with a somewhat vague until spring deadline. Maybe that's because there seems to be a bit of an issue with when lockdown's actually going to finish. February, said the Prime Minister last night. March, said Michael Gove this morning. Meanwhile, schools had opened yesterday, closed today, and the evening standards learned that although 5 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine have been delivered to the UK, only 1 million people have had the injection. Our political reporter Sophia Slays with me. Sophia, Boris Johnson and Michael Gove can't seem to agree when this lockdown's going to end. Is the reality actually that no one really knows? Uh, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Nobody knows. And I think we'd be a little bit silly to to try and predict that. I mean, that's exactly what Michael Gove, the Cabinet Office Minister, said this morning. He said, you know, nobody can predict when this will end, basically. It was refreshing to hear him being frank because we quite often get the sort of the sunshine speeches and, oh, everything will be better by X, Y and Z. And he said that any relaxation is going to depend on ensuring the most vulnerable are all vaccinated. Um, and he's, he's he sort of phrased it saying that, you know, as we enter Mar- March, we'll be able to lift some of these restrictions but not necessarily all so I think that was quite a frank you know summary of what we're looking at now but isn't there an issue as there has been throughout this lockdown that people have been complaining about how the government's saying one thing and then it changes its mind and then there's a u-turn doesn't there come a point when the public goes, can we listen to our politicians anymore? That's a really good point. And I think we're at a real crunch moment over that at the mo- currently, because particularly over schools, I mean, schools is the, the big issue, I think, where they could have done better. Boris Johnson was on the Andrew Marr show on Sunday morning and he I watched back the video um, just to double make sure that he did say it. Um, he literally said schools are safe. And then 36 hours later, he's shutting down England schools uh, until at least, you know, the end of February half term. So, you know, some children in England went back for one day yesterday on Monday, um, only to be told that, you know, back home you go. So that's really, really tough. I really feel sorry for children and parents but particularly children, I feel children are being messed around. I, I spoke to the Department of Education today and they said essentially that they are closing schools, not because they're unsafe, but because, you know, these additional measures are needed to contain the spread of the virus. But 
you know, surely that could have been better managed. These soaring virus rates, we've known they've been increasing for days, weeks even. And to have that screeching U-turn on the first day back after Christmas, it's a bit of a slap in the face, I think. Now, schools are closed, Sophia, but nurseries, of course, are open. I suspect that's probably quite a welcome thing for a lot of parents with very young children. But how do those nursery workers themselves feel when they have to go in, but school teachers don't? Yeah, I think they're quite quite stressed. Um, I mean, I did a story today saying that nursery workers are feeling terrified and abandoned, um, was, was what one operator said to me. You know, they can't quite understand why schools have been ordered to close during this fresh lockdown. But early years providers are supposed to be staying open and they're sort of saying, well, are we vulnerable? Does the government think schools aren't safe? Um, are we at risk here? And, you know, their arguments are, why aren't we being vaccinated? We're, we're really close to these kids. You can't socially distance from a one-year-old, a two-year-old, a three-year-old. They climb all over you and everything. You can't, you can't socially distance in that way. So, you know, their concerns are really, really understandable. Um, Michael Gove said, actually, he was asked about why nurseries are staying open this morning. And he said, um, you know, it's vital for sort of, you know, the children whose parents are doctors, nurses and such like, so that they can continue their work and have childcare there. But, you know, nursery um, staff hit back sort of saying, well, you know, it's it's not just the, the children of critical workers who would be looking after. We're also looking after other children as well. So, you know, I do understand their point. Why, why can't they just open for critical workers as they did before? Before Boris Johnson made his announcements, uh, Scotland said that it was going into lockdown. Nicola Sturgeon held a press conference hours before the, the, the Prime Minister did. How do you think relations are going between Westminster and Holyrood? Well, they're definitely diverging and doing their own thing, aren't they? I mean, the interesting thing that Nicola Sturgeon said that really struck me was um, that Scotland was four weeks behind London. You know, she's shutting down uh, a country on the basis of it being four weeks behind the place where I'm currently living and and sitting at the moment. And I did think, well, you know, what has England been doing for the last four weeks? Um, And and it's certainly coupled with the announcement a few hours later from Boris Johnson that England was following suit and going to lock down. You know, it adds to that suggestion of these kind of screeching U-turns that, that we keep seeing. And, and it does kind of feel like major decisions are being made within a matter of hours. And there's more from Sophia and our entire political team in the newspaper and at standard.co.uk. Here come the ads. Why not take a second to subscribe to The Leader and you'll get our news analysis and commentary every day at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. All is fair in love and war. Bridgerton hit Netflix on Christmas Day and proved an instant hit. The streamer says the period drama was seen in 63 million households in just four weeks. Here we stand as Katie Rosinski's with me. Katie, the period drama is not dead. Why is this one hitting so well with so many people? I think it just really arrived on Netflix at the perfect time for a show like this. I mean, it landed on on Christmas Day. The sort of holiday period is always great for indulging in that kind of show anyway but you know after the year that everyone's had it's escapist it's a nice sort of getaway from all of our problems that we've got currently going on so I think it just um, ticks a lot of boxes at the right time for a lot of people. It seems to come these things with a, a touch of controversy though we had The Crown you and I have spoken about The Crown people complaining about historical accuracy in there and people have been talking about the historical accuracy of Bridgerton, which I think sort of misses the point of what it's trying to do. But particularly with things like shock, horror, diversity and casting, Katie, that seems to be a controversial issue in, in period dramas at the moment. Obviously, Bridgerton ha- is from Shonda Rhimes' production company, Shondaland, and they've always adopted a colour-conscious approach to casting. They've done that in like their contemporary shows like... Um, most famously with stuff like Grey's Anatomy and Scandal. And they've basically just taken that approach and applied it to the period piece. I spoke to Bridgerton's showrunner for a piece that I did a little while back. um, And he said that the show's colour conscious casting was rooted in the, um, there's some research and some historical schools of thought to suggest that Queen Charlotte, who was married to King George III, was potentially Britain's first mixed-race royal. Um, So basically, when he was kind of creating the world of Bridgerton, he sort of thought, what would have happened if if Queen Charlotte was mixed-race? How would her court have looked? And he sort of applied that approach. In a way, programmes like Bridgerton, which are not claiming historical accuracy, are actually making people think about particularly Britain's history in a different way and realising that it wasn't perhaps as white as we've been led to believe. Yeah, definitely. And I think absolutely a positive thing. I mean, period dramas um, historically have not been very diverse and they've maybe sometimes presented quite a whitewashed version of of Britain's history so I think um, any moves towards better representation is definitely a good thing and also when you think of you know period dramas are a massive export for the British film and television industry I mean Downton Abbey is one of our biggest um, international success stories but you know while period dramas have stronghold on the industry it has sort of created an environment where there aren't necessarily as many good opportunities for actors of color and you see this kind of cycle whereby they end up maybe traveling to america to work because there's better opportunities over there um i mean the the lead actor in bridgeton um reggae john page he um has worked quite extensively 
in America. I had a chat with him and the, his co-star before Christmas and he mentioned the, the sort of irony of um, it having to be an American um, production company to sort of bring him back to star in the sort of classic British period drama thing. And Katie's written a great piece on the evolution of the period drama, which you can find at standard.co.uk. That's the leader. We're back tomorrow at four. <laughs>